Hello. Uh, hello. Is this uh, is, is this thing on here? This is Coolio. <laughs> Coolio? Is that Coolio? Is, is this a gangster's paradise? Why you keep using my name in vain? I no, I don't. I say it. I say it all in 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 love and 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 not vain, unvain. Love, love and love and rockets. I love think you're thinking of love and rockets. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that band. They had a song called Love and Rockets. <laughs> That's always confusing when they do that. It is. It's yeah. It's like pick that. That was a that was like an eighties and nineties thing, right? Like you never uh, you never heard about the song "The Beatles" by the Beatles. No. <laughs> or uh, or the Beach Boys. You know, my kids are really into the Beach Boys right now. Like that's oh, good. That's they is. have good taste. They do, and I'm but I'm making them really focus on pet sounds. I think we talked about this a little bit. We did. We yeah. did. So, but still today, actually, the best uh, conversation I had today with my children is driving to school. Jack said, "Hey, you know, you know when when one band like plays a song from another band." Oh. Uh, yeah, and I was like, "Oh, like and a you cover said song?" A cover. <laughs> yeah, cover song. He goes, "Yeah, cover songs." He's like, "Can you find us some Beach Boys cover songs?" Ooh. And and so I found uh there's uh, mu- uh, Apple Music, uh, you know, you know that that uh, that service. Mm-hmm. I, I subscribed to that and and actually gave away all of my CDs. Um, and it has a cover. Where is it? it's called Undercover? The Beach Boys, Apple Music Pop. I think it's a it's a playlist. And there's a bunch of uh, Beach Boy covers. And my favorite is. Uh, Sloop John B uh, from Me First in the Gimme Gimmies. It's, uh, oh. it's a punk, a little bit of punk. Yeah, and I, there is a cover of Sloop John B by somebody that's not the Beach Boys. Oh, um, did uh, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash cover well, that? Well, there is. So um, the Kingston Trio wrote it, and then the right. Beach Boys covered it. Ah, oh, so, so it's a cover of a cover. It's a cover of a cover. I know it this. It covers all the way down. It's cover, yeah, it's, it's, it's covers up, covers down. Um, I know this because uh, there there was this really great uh, uh, documentary on Showtime uh, about uh, making a pet sounds, and they talk about that. So yeah, no, we're we're all about uh, we're all about the covers today. But as soon as I turned on the cover, I liked it. They did not like it. Really? They're like play the play the real version. Whoa. Yeah, they're not. I I think covers like. Um, like like confusing tastes, you know, like uh, um, blue cheese and, and and you know buffalo sauce. It's an acquired taste. Uh, yeah, co- well, and and you know it depends, right? Like there are some there are some covers that I absolutely love, and there are some covers that I find unlistenable because they just they're just too different. Now, I mean, you don't want them to be a note for note reproduction. Um, but, but yeah, I, I find that with, with covers either, I, I, I generally, I'm not neutral on them, you know, either I'm like strongly in favor or I really just can't abide them. Right. Right. Do you, do you know the, um, you know, boys of summer, the Don Henley song? Yes. So there's a cover that I think like the, yeah, the Ataris did in 2003, which I, I can't, um, I can't tell the difference between the two songs. Like, oh wow! Like, like it sounds, and and it may just be that my maybe I just don't know what the Don Henley version sounds like anymore because I've heard the Atari's version so much on the radio. Huh. But but there are multiple times where I hear it and I was like, why is that on the like why why are they playing this song that version on the um, new rock alternative radio station that I that I listen to 
here in Raleigh. And then I'm like, oh, it's it's not. It's the Atari's version, and I can't tell the difference. Um, <laughs> That's bizarre. It is bizarre. It's not. It's 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 me. It's not you. It's uh, well. It's the Atari's, not not. The well, Atari. while. While while we're talking about covers, I have to I have to plug um, a wonderful uh, wonderful album uh, called "Enjoy Every Sandwich: The Songs of Warren Zevon." Um, which, speaking of um, uh, Don Henley, uh, he has a cover. Actually, it's the first tune on that. Um, uh, he has a cover of "Searching for a Heart," um, but it's it's really it's 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 really quite quite good. Um, uh, Bruce Springsteen does a cover of "My Rides Here." Uh, Wallflowers covering Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Um, uh, Pete Yorn from The Monkees doing Splendid Isolation. Um, oh, love. There's a great cover by David Lindley and Ry Cooter of, of Monkey Wash, Donkey Rinse. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty darn good. So Nice. There's an Adam Sandler does Werewolves of London. I, I was going to say, Adam Sandler, track two, Adam Sandler, Werewolves of London. Yeah, so good good stuff. I, Steve, I, Steve Earle uh, covers Reckless Kelly. Uh, Steve Earle, uh, famous to uh, listeners of the podcast that also uh, watch The Wire because uh, Steve Earle was in The Wire. He was he was Bubba's sponsor. That's right. Yeah. I knew, yeah. yeah. Um, there. So if we're talking about uh, uh, we, which we are uh, cover albums that that we like, there is uh, a series of uh, Neil Young tributes that are that were only uh, it's only Canadian. Um, performers called Borrowed Tunes, a tribute to Neil Young, and Borrowed Tunes 2, a tribute to Neil Young, because Neil Young, deser- he deserves two. These are both double-disc uh, cover albums. And uh, there are, I, from, from some of your favorites, Don, um, things uh, bands like uh, Tom Cochran singing Old Man, um, Ron Sexsmith singing Philadelphia, uh, one one of my uh, one of my favorites. This is on Borrow Tunes two. I don't even know. I have I have these like in my uh, um, in my iTunes. I don't even know if they're on um, Apple Music. Fifty four forty a band. If you don't if you don't know, um, listeners, uh, as you know in Canadian lore, fifty four forty is is one of the best Canadian bands never heard of outside of Canada. Uh, and Ben, I can tell you that pretty much every one of these bands is a band never heard of outside of Canada. I I recognize I recognize Bare Naked Ladies. Yes. Um, and I recognize um, Cowboy Junkies. Mm, good, good, excellent. And I think I'm pretty sure that's where uh, that's where uh, my um, uh, knowledge of Canadian bands, which is, as you know, deep and wide, um, uh, ends. So, yeah, Ron Sexsmith, I might have heard of that name, but probably only because you said it. Could be. Um, and that's it. Uh, so I, uh, I, I would, I would like to listen to this. I will. Uh, I can make that you happen. Should, uh, I will. I will <laughs> thank you. I, thank you. Yes. Yeah. That that is uh, that's entirely doable. Um, you, you may note uh, that the um, famed Canadian Sons, the Tragically Hip, um, are not – they're not part of this. Not, not part of this, yeah. Not part, not part of either, uh, either of them. And I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know the reason for that. But there was uh, a really great uh, version of – where's my favorite one? It's on Borrowed Tunes 1. Everybody knows this is Nowhere. Um, and it's uh, Rio Statics and the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir. That's that's my favorite favorite track on any of these 
So uh, I will. Uh, yeah, you, you can expect you can expect to see to hear some borrowed tunes. They're it's really quite good. Very, very good. So there's two uh, there's two more albums that I want to mention while we're talking about um, uh, covers. And one is uh, The Day of the Dead, uh, which is, as you might gather, uh, is a bunch of uh, covers of um, <laughs> Grateful Dead songs, um, which, again, some of are like really good and some uh, I just uh, I just can't buy. So, um, again, I would. Uh, I would, I would, uh, you know, if you're, if you like the Grateful Dead, I would suggest that you check them out. Um, actually, Mumford and Sons, who I think we've talked about on the podcast, do a great cover of a Friend of the Devil, for example. So, um, yeah, I'm good gonna stuff. Check, I'm going to check this out. Uh, the band that I tried to like because everyone told me that they were awesome, and by everyone I meant, I mean the internet. Uh, does a version of uh, Peggy O, the National? I can't get into ah, the National. right. Can't get. I, mm-hmm. I mean, we've, you've mentioned this, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do really like Jim James and my morning jacket. So I, I didn't even know about this. This is what, let's talk a little bit about how the internet has changed things. Um, so I used to go to, um, record stores, which were not really record stores, but they were CD stores. I mean, that sold, you know, one rack of records and, and 40 racks of CDs, uh, a lot. I mean, I used to, we, in the, in the mall, uh, that was next to the town that I grew up in, uh, Coburg, Ontario. Uh, there was this mall that had a um, a really crappy CD store. Um, I would go what seems like weekly, but it was probably more like once a month. I'd, I'd go to the Oshawa Center in Oshawa where, where I could go to uh, multiple stores in the Oshawa Center. Uh, HMV, the famed HMV. Uh, Sam the Record Man, which is a, a Canadian institution. Um, and a couple others like music world. I mean this, but without those, the, like without the experience of just like walking in to those CD stores, I, I've missed things like this, this day of the dead. I didn't even know this came out. Mm. And, and this would have been something that I would have like, Hey, I, I might want to listen to some of these things. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, <clears throat> It's funny because I don't listen to the radio anymore um, and I really hardly listen to music anymore, uh, mostly mostly listening to podcasts. And so the ability to discover new music is it's kind of very weird for me. Like I, it doesn't really happen all that much. So, uh, yeah. So and I don't know how I learned this. I probably learned about this because somebody mentioned it on social media, you know, and that's I guess that's probably the way mostly I discover things these days. Um, the, the other the other thing that I want to mention, um, which is again pretty awesome is um so this is the title of the wikipedia uh page the flaming lips and star death and white dwarves with henry rollins and peaches doing the dark side of the moon (laughs) whoa which which is basically it's the flaming lips covering uh pink floyd's album the dark dark side of the moon um it's it's pretty darn good uh if you if you like the flaming lips if you like dark side of the moon um i i recommend it um there are a number of people that really hate it because i guess they were expecting like a note for note um reproduction instead of a reinterpretation but i i i don't listen to it all that much but i i there was a period when i was listening to it quite a bit and i enjoy it very much and also the album cover the cover of the cover album um pretty awesome so oh uh, that is we'll, we'll link to that i will check that out um yeah. the flaming lips episode of um portlandia from last season i think it was let me see if i can find this uh season 6 um where there was a war between bands 
Um, <laughs> do you, I don't know if you remember, remember I, that. I, my favorite, I do. My favorite Portlandia episode of all time. Uh, I thought that was that was awesome. Yeah, I thought I thought that was that was they. I yeah, I I, I, I really. Uh, and you know, and again, how did I discover the Flaming Lips? I discovered the Flaming Lips because I think my brother had. Uh, 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 what's the one with uh, battling the robots? Um, oh. uh, anyway, I, I will we'll think of, I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, the the flaming lips uh, that mentions battling robots, which I and I had never heard of them before. At this point, they were probably pretty big. Um, and I lo- started listening to it. And I'm like, wow, this is really, really good. good. I yeah. should I should like learn more about this band. So yeah, I saw them uh, oh, like 15 years ago. Um, after there was, uh, after the SARS hit, uh, Toronto and, and some, some people tragically died from the respiratory illness, uh, Toronto was dealing with tourism issues and, uh, there was a big, uh, festival that was put on and, and it was, I mean, um, ACDC and the Rolling Stones and Justin Timberlake and, and the Flaming Lips and, and, and some Canadian bands. And it was at a... Uh, former um, uh, Air Force Base in Toronto, uh, and, and I didn't know who they were until then. And they were, we were like a mile away from the stage. Not, not even that's not figuratively. Like we may have actually been a mile <laughs> away because uh, there was like two hundred thousand people there or something. Um, and uh, and I, we so we you, we kind of like watched the the concert on these big uh, video monitors, and uh, they were just like bizarre. They brought out like washing machines and had all, you know, they're running around. Oh, there's Brett Michaels. Um, yes. Uh, so anyway, Flaming Lips were, were great. Uh, and, and then I, the same thing. I was like, Oh, who are these guys? And I started, uh, investigating their, their music. And I was like, Oh, they're, they are really good. It's a good band. Yeah. So, so the album I was trying to think of is Yoshimi battles, the pink robots, um, which was their 10th album, um, 10th studio album. Uh, and it came out in 2002 and actually it was critically well received and uh, helped the brand band break into the mainstream. Um, also I did not know this. Um, the album was adapted into a musical 2012, which I can't wait to go see. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Wow. That sounds, that sounds awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, just, uh, fill, filling the, um, internet void of what I was talking about with SARS, the SARS yeah. concert. It was called um, Molson Canadian Rocks for Toronto. and But it was also known as uh, SARS Stock, SARS Fest, SARS Apalooza, the SARS concert, Stars for SARS, uh, or more descriptively, the Rolling Stones SARS Benefit Concert. <laughs> Estimated, so I said 200,000, in between 450 and 500,000 people attended that conference. Concert. One, one, one of the largest outdoor ticketed events in Canadian history. Yeah. And, or, sorry, the, the largest in Canadian history and one of the largest in North American history. It wow. was nuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot. Uh, the Guess Who, Rush. Um, and then uh, My. the Isley Brothers, the Tea Party, Kathleen Edwards. Now, wait, now, now that's not the Tea Party that, that I'm thinking of. No, it's not the, not the Tea Bag Party. Uh, either they're called the tea baggers. I the think the tea baggers. Yeah, no, this is <laughs> don't this, Google that. Right, right. The it's a Canadian rock band with blues, progressive rock, Indian, and Middle Eastern influences. Huh? Yeah. Is that what it is? That's what it, that's what Wikipedia says. They were they were a pretty good band. I actually just stumbled across uh, one of their songs on my uh, iTunes Shuffle the other day. Um. So yeah. Anyway, uh, it was it was I. I um. I, that was that was kind of a cool cool concert to go to. I I can yeah. say that I was at the largest uh, ticketed outdoor event in Canadian history. Wow! 
Yeah, that's and you know, and again, the the Wikipedia. Go read the Wikipedia page. It's fascinating. It, it really, it really is. Vendor uh, sold Alberta beef, but Ben, in a link to food safety, Alberta oh, uh, vendor right. sold Alberta beef in support of the Canadian beef uh, industry, which had recently suffered because of a case of mad cow disease. I forgot about that link. Yes, and and that it was there. There was a lot of Canada had. Um, was in a funny situation with the with BSE mad cow diseases in 2003 where we I think at the time and I'm not sure if it's still the case but were um the the only example of a country finding a case of BSE and beef consumption going up and that's really? that's not fake news that is yeah um let's let's find uh uh Canada. Yeah, so there was a lot of protectionist, uh, which is maybe the negative way to put it. Um, but uh, th- there was a lot of um, people in Canada being upset that other countries wouldn't accept Canadian beef because of safety issues. Because there was this, you know, um, you know this this one case of uh, of um, BSE, and so people went out and and specifically bought um, Canadian beef. There's a really good article that I will link to uh, that we had in Barf Blog a while ago. Ten years later, how Mad Cow uh, Crisis Changed an Industry in Province. So, nice. Yeah. So anyway, there uh, there we go. Yeah, good good catch. I had totally forgotten about that uh, Canadian beef uh, connection. Um. So, so speaking of uh, of food safety, you and I just spent a couple of days together, um, maybe making food safer, maybe not. Well, I just tell people I'm making, I'm going to Washington D.C. to make food safer. I, I, That's, I just tell them that. I don't, I don't, not, I'm not sure that I actually believe it, but you know, it works as kind of a like a tagline. I like it. It's yeah, it's uh, one of the things that I see on my Facebook pages when people get up early on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Um, cause my Facebook is largely populated by other parents that, that are in the midst of taking children to hockey is time to make the hockey, like the tagline of, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, which was time to make the donuts, uh, a while ago. Time to make the hockey. I like time that. to make the hockey. And so for you also pop up in my, in my feed and I have not, I haven't jumped in, uh, cause I don't want to. I don't want to just appropriate your your term, but you you often are uh, traveling somewhere, uh, making food safer. Time to make <laughs> time to make food safer. Um, so yeah, we were uh, we were at the Food Safety Preventive Controls Alliance uh, semi annual bi biannual semi annual no biannual face to face meeting. And Indeed, we were in uh, in Washington D.C. and we were at the Triple H building, and not Triple H the wrestler, um, uh, but we were at the Hubert uh, H. Humphrey uh, building, uh, discussing things that, uh, that 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 some might say were uh, not for public consumption. Um, in you know the the inner workings of of the alliance, which is really just uh, um, minutia. Sometimes we we. Multiple times, uh, either uh, talked about a policy or um, it was suggested that we need a policy on something. Um, yeah, well, and I think I think we can probably talk about what what so happens at yeah. the meeting because because the minutes are posted, right? I think so. I mean, I think they're yes, yeah. We can we can we can talk about a lot of it. So, 
Um, but most of it's pretty boring. <laughs> right. That's it's, it makes for very bad radio. Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah, well, I mean, it depends. Like if, if you, if you're the kind of person that likes going to, uh, CFP because you like your people arguing about sh- stuff and, um, Robert's rules of order, um, you know, that it, you, you might enjoy it, but I, I don't know. I, I, I had a good time. I mean, I, uh, I, I had a good time and, and I, I probably shouldn't admit this. Um, but I also got caught up on email and, and, I, but not, not that I wasn't engaged. I think I was very yeah. engaged, but my, my engagement in, in things like that tends to follow like a sine wave. Like I'm, and I'm sort of, I'm pretty good at listening, um, while doing other stuff. And then sometimes I really, I can't listen and do other, so I sort of zone out, but, um, I can't do any like this work, but I can like, you know, delete emails or, or simple replies or stuff like that. Um, and then occasionally, uh, pipe up and try to say something, uh, you know, uh, at least in a loud voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And like, uh, sometimes you nod and then say, I do. yeah. And then be like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm here, I'm in, uh, and I have something to add. I, you know, that, that organization, um, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about it in the past. It has, uh, gone in a wave of frustration for me. And I felt like the last two face-to-face meetings that we've had, uh, I am, I'm less frustrated. And I think it has to do with I, 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 That's funny that you should say that. I feel the same way. So wh- yeah. why do you think that? I think it's because um, there, for, for a lot of the, the first three years or four years that, that, we, that I was part of this, um, we did a lot of uh, planning and there was a lot of waiting. And, and now we're in the doing phase and that's a lot more exciting than the, um, than the waiting, uh, phase like that. That's the, that's the big, the big like picture for, for me. So here we, we've now gone from a group that was, um, tasked with creating a curriculum to, oh, we've got a curriculum and we've got, you know, 10,000 people, you know, or, or 200,000 people trained in whatever the, the, the metrics are. And we've got 2000 trainers of it. And now we're going international and, and we are, um, adding in foreign supplier verification. And, um, there's a, a, a group of technical, um, the folks that, uh, that answer technical questions that are, that are getting questions. And, you know, so, so things like there are, there are improvements to be made in the whole system, but there's a lot of doing now which which is exciting and and that um and, and with the doing comes the need for hey we didn't think of this per, you know thing to come that 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 might have come up and we need a policy for it exactly right like, like i was just gonna say like it's it's the doing and the doing wrong or the doing uncovers a problem and now we have we're actually doing stuff that's relevant to fixing the way the alliance is working right in other words it's like okay we had this thing we got to do a course correction we need a policy which to me is way more interesting than talking about like what we might do in the future theoretically you know blah 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 so it's really yeah it really is i am much more i've discovered i am really not a strategic person like I really don't care about strategy, no. but I love tactics, right? Like I want to know like what's the next thing that we need to do to move this forward. And I have a vague sense of where I want to get to, but I really don't like – you know, this is why I don't like five-year plans or 10-year plans or strategic planning. I'm really much more interested in, OK, what do we need to do to get unstuck here, right? And who's going to do it and when are they going to do it? Yeah, and let's just like – do do something like you can 
you can plan for so long and never actually do anything. Right. Like, and, right. And, and you don't know what the target is and let's get, let's get together. I, 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 I prefer to say, here's our overall philosophy. We want to, we want to accomplish this. All right, let's try a bunch of things. Let's, 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 uh, let's go and, and make something and then make it better. And let's have a, let's launch something now and, and figure out if it works. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, that sometimes that approach gets you into, um, not, not trouble, but, but you end up like either stepping on toes or so, you know, someone who should have thinks that they should have been included, wasn't included, but you went forward and and did it anyway. Um, but as long as, the the idea is to to have a, an inclusive process going forward. I, I I worry less about about that. Like I and I I think I approach even the stuff that that we do here, food safety wise, in the same way. Where it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna try and make something. And if someone's like, hey, I think I should have been involved with that, be like, why don't you jump in and be involved with it now? Like yes, exactly. Like, like come along. Well, and we can fix it. We can redirect it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's there's a lot of there, there's an, an analogy not not to jump too much into our favorite offline topic of politics, but there's an analogy with the with the Obamacare repeal and replace, right? Like, let's not blow things up. Let's just fix it, <laughs> right? And, and, right. And let's not plan on how we should make something uh, for a really long time. Let's make it and know just know that we're going to have to adjust it as we go along, right? Yeah. Uh, uh. Um hey hey Don um I I want I want to talk to you about about other food safety things. I we well yes besides besides mad cow which happened more than 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, which, and, and uh I did find the exact uh consumption uh non-fake news thing that I'll uh come back to that uh I texted to you. Um uh, consumption, domestic consumption in Canada of beef never went down as a result of BSE. In fact, in 2003, per capita beef consumption actually increased to 32 kilograms from 30.58 in 2002. Whoa. So, yeah, it went up two kilos. That's a, it's a lot of steaks. It's a lot of burgers per person. That is. Uh, that anyways, is. Um, uh, have you – now, beverage-wise this morning – could you walk me through your um, your consumption? Did you have yeah, have you had any coffee? Why do you ask? Oh, just I just just indulge me, Don. Like, okay, all right. It's so, a setup here. It's a setup. Have you had? All right. So what? All right. I, I feel like I'm being set up. You um, are. Uh, I had I had a, uh, a, a grande uh, a Starbucks dark roast, um, and then I made myself. Uh, something that I refer to in my calorie tracking application as Don's Latte, which is a basically a uh, AeroPress, uh, two scoops AeroPress uh, in about 100 mils of water mixed with about 100 mils of milk. Um, and nice. that is my, that has been my caffeine um, uh, to date today. Um, did you uh, would you put the milk? Do you put press the milk through the AeroPress? Like you brew oh, it? only only accidentally once or twice. <laughs> Does that now I'm on a tangent. Did it matter? Did you like it? Like, um, did, did, it, did it didn't. It didn't taste as good. I think. Huh. Um, and uh, it was a little bit harder to clean up. Yeah. So yeah. 
Uh, I had okay, so that's good. I I had um, uh, a uh, two shots of espresso this morning. Uh, that's how I like to start my day. Mm. Uh, and then I had a had a latte. Um, and now I'm I've moved on to just straight straight water. I got a lot of water right here. Um, what I didn't have, Don, uh, and what it sounds like you've missed off your checklist today is uh, deer antler tea. Did you did you you didn't you didn't have that today? I uh, I did not have that today. <laughs> did I you? did not have that uh, yesterday. And hold on, let me check. I did not have that. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, ever. Um, so. I, I don't know if you know this. Uh, some uh, some news from last week uh, that has re, um, resulted in a recall notice um, uh, now from a couple of days ago that I got uh, an, uh, an alert from FDA just today. Um, so uh, we, we can talk about timing in a minute. But um, U.S. Deer Antler EX and IM Incorporated announces the recall of herbal tea varieties and pouches due to risk for Clostridium botulinum. Um, uh, this uh, follows up on uh, one of their uh, tea items that was uh, processed uh, and packaged uh, that came from deer antlers that uh, led to, uh, looks like at least, uh, well, likely two cases of botulism, one confirmed and one uh, unconfirmed, but the symptoms are, are consistent. Um, and that is, uh, con- uh, concerning. Um, that's, it's weird, Ben. It's, it's concerning. Yes. Yeah. But it's weird, right? Like this is, I'm looking, I'm looking at the ABC news story that you, that you linked to, or that you put in the Dropbox and it's a, it's a dried powder, Right. Am I looking at this correctly? Am I interpreting this? It's a dried powder that people reconstitute to make tea. But there was enough botoxin in that this dry product to make somebody sick. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm reading here. Right. Yeah. That's that's wild. Like, like, I mean, you know, botulism is not unusual. I mean, it's, it's 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 unusual, but. I don't I mean it's it's typically in a food with adequate moisture that has been um you know allowed to remain at room temperature for a long period of time and I, I this is this is really weird one Yeah so I I've never um I've never kind of seen something like this so um we've got uh a situation where you know how does how does it happen right I I guess that um someone makes the tea from the from the deer antlers and then they're doing so in a anaerobic or or holding it somehow anaerobically where there's some bot toxin that's produced and then they desiccate it and then they package it as dried like like freeze-dried coffee like Folgers I guess and then uh there's the toxin um, is not you know and and I guess I, I've never really investigated before I guess the the toxin isn't um, uh, denatured in that in that drying process, right? Like that's right, and then, and right. then it gets reconstituted with, with water, and then people uh, get sick. Yeah, and the toxin the toxin is not heat stable. So you, you you know if you added like if you took the the this this mixture and you put it in boiling water, um, you would inactivate the toxin. But obviously, people must not be adding water that's very hot or the time temperature is not sufficient or 
or maybe drying or, it makes may, yeah. may impact the toxin somehow, right? Like, yeah, it could could be. I'm I'm not enough of a toxin expert to know, but but that would. But I don't know. I mean, we yeah, we should talk to somebody like uh, Eric Johnson or Kathy Glass, um, who knows about bot toxin. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a head scratcher for sure. Yeah. So. So what your bottom line is uh, stay away from the deer antler tea. Yeah, and I so I did a little digging into deer antler tea. Why would you why would you eat deer antler? Why would you consume deer antler? Um there's a for for male health. That's yeah, well it's it's from it's for your yin and your yang, Don. It's there's there Awesome. Yeah. So, do I have both? I, do I have a, do what, I have a yin and a yang? What I understand here um let me from from a, an article uh, entitled Deer Antler to Nourish Blood, Bone, and Joints uh, that is in the uh, a publication that you might subscribe to, you might not, from the Institute for Traditional Medicine. Um, this is a what looks like a paper. And I say that <laughs> because I'm not entirely sure it's a paper, but something that was published in 2005. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it, it basically says, uh, you know, you've got, uh, sometimes, uh, what, what this will do, the gelatin, uh, which, which I guess is what you're going to get from the, from boiling the deer antler to make your tea. It's sweet mm. in flavor and warm in nature. It warms and supplements the kidney. And this is, this is the part that I have, I, I think the most trouble with, um, on a on a daily basis, so it, it may help me. It supplements yang with within yin, and uh, frees the blood of the thoroughfare vessel. Huh. So okay. Well, I guess if you got thoroughfare vessel in your blood, uh, this might be the thing for you. Yeah, it frees it frees that up. Um, so I also did a little bit of digging on like how you make it if you were going to make it at home, and um, there's. Uh, an article um, from um, uh, uh, Michelle in the Kitchen, who we've not we've not referred to before, but she was on the Steve Harvey show a few uh, a few weeks ago, according to this article, uh, where she talked about um, you know uh, Asian remedies and uh, not just deer antler, but deer penis as well. I see that. I see that um, Asian remedies and deer penis. And de- so. Um, both just uh, they are male virility boosters. Both ingredients boost testosterone and increase sexual vigor and performance in men. Uh, this sounds uh, painful uh, as the preparation, <laughs> but the penis is sliced and soaked in. Ra- I hope it's the. Dirt. No, it's, oh, yeah, I don't care how bad <laughs> my male problems are. No one is doing that. To I'm me. soaked in rice wine. Uh, so, Ow. yeah, that, that feels like it would really hurt. I hope it's the deers. Um, <laughs> It probably is. A shot of it should be taken once uh, every one or two weeks. Uh, now, getting to the antlers, they're sliced, boiled in water with herbs, and consumed as a tea. Uh, so, where can you where can you get these things? Uh, you know, according to Michelle in the kitchen, uh, deer penis liquor is a tough one to source. Uh, she buys hers uh, on the way back from Asia whenever she goes, or she brings it. Uh, they do carry it in uh, in Asian uh, stores uh, around the country. She doesn't tell me where I can get the antlers, though. So mm, well, I tried to find out. I so I, uh, well. Yeah. Here's the thing: um, uh, the comments are the best, right? Um, they always are. Fre- Freddie Freddie Wheeler writes, "Where to find this?" <laughs> um, 
Michelle Park answers. Hi, Freddie. Are you looking for the deer penis? <laughs> anyway. Um, and then Lenny Broyles writes, I need to find out they sail it in the Phoenix, Arizona area space comma. Any help? Question mark. Michelle answers. Hi, Lenny. Are you looking for the deer penis? <laughs> it's a bot, I think. I think she's uh, that's her just a, a normal response. And, and we have we have to say uh, that uh, uh, Michelle in the kitchen was was on the Steve Harvey show a few weeks ago in an article that was published in 2013. Oh, so yeah. it's been it's been a while since. She, but I mean, people were commenting to, in 2016. You know, years later, people are commenting, looking for the deer penis, apparently. I, I mean, I don't know. It's not really clear. People want to f- find it. Um. <laughs> people want to find the deer penis. It's true. And, and the antler no, they want to they find it. Ben. Oh, they want to find it. Oh. F-I-N-E. They want to find it. Well, it's been it, – it might need to be fined. <laughs> Uh, I hope somebody gets fined over this botulism thing, not to not to make light. I mean, this is some, you know, and this is uh, anyway, we make fun, but this is serious business. Ben, I don't know if you know this. Making food is hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And uh, and and this is a nice actually kind of a nice segue. Um, uh, It's uh, people want to make food in their homes in New Jersey. Uh, They do. And and in North Dakota. So I, I've added. Let's talk about New Jersey uh, first. So, sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, you you and I we we talked uh, together um, uh, uh, yesterday a little bit about this, but you, you've been approached uh, to to sort of look at risks and how do we help people make food in their home uh, and right. what's the, what you know, what's the way to do it in a way where uh, people aren't going to get sick. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, let's give a, a, a little bit more backstory. Um, so a, a colleague of ours, um, who listeners of this podcast would know, um, uh, she in fact, uh, ran against me and lost in the IAFP election, something that I'm still sad about because she would have been an awesome IAFP officer. Um, uh, she has a uh, niece, I think that lives in New Jersey who is really into this home food stuff. And, uh, so, so our colleague reached out to me and said, would you help? And, uh, and then niece got in touch with me. And one of the things that I did while I was making food safer in Washington, DC, was I, I sent an email response, um, to, uh, the, the relative and said, Hey, look, I'm happy to help. Let's, let's talk. Um, interestingly, apparently Ben, um, according to what this person was telling me, um, there are, only two states that do not have some sort of cottage food law, and and New Jersey is one of those, really? which I that blew my mind. I'm not sure it's true. I mean, but again, I'm just reporting what what was what was told to me. So, um, yeah. So uh, the 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 New Jersey Home Bakers Bill was passed unanimously out of the Assembly, uh, but the Senate version of the bill has still not been scheduled for a hearing. Um, and 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 again, it has it has been tried a few times in the past, and it has it, it has always uh, stalled. And so, and, and as I explained um, to our friend of a friend, um, I need to really keep my my nose clean on this one because, as a technically as a state employee, I cannot advocate for regulation. But what I can do is I can certainly talk about the science and and things like that. And y- you shared with me actually something very unique about North Carolina's cottage food laws. Um, which which uh, anyway, why don't you would you would you share that with the listeners? Because I think that 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 I th- you have a 
I have a passing familiarity. I think you have a little bit more uh, in-depth familiarity with 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 this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so we we have. Uh, uh, I, I think w- what is a really good um, regulated cottage food, you know, home home based business um, system. So in in our state and it's been around as i mean for a long i don't know exactly how long i know it's been around well before i started in, in north carolina where um you can uh make a certain home or certain certain foods uh in in your home um and those the, these are ones that are determined to be low risk by our department of agriculture and um consumer services and um it's stuff like dried uh, baked goods and um, jams and jellies and um, uh, we you can do in, in our state uh, pickles um, and, and acidified foods but at the start of um, your process you need to you know inform uh, you have to apply to become a home processor and you uh, you have a pre um, uh, pre processing inspection. So you've got, you know, before you're allowed to, to make this product, you you can, you have to invite someone from the department of agriculture out. And one of the things that, um, that's on our list, uh, which you're not allowed to have is, uh, a dog, uh, or uh, any, sorry, a pet that comes into the home at any time, even only at night. So, um, you, the first thing is they kind of ask, what are the foods that you would eat or that you would make? Um, and they're, uh, uh, determined as low risk packaged foods. So I'm just looking at the website here: baked goods, jams and jellies, candies, dried mixes, spices, some sauces and liquids, and those are ones that are um, acidified foods, uh, and pickles and other acidified foods. W- things you can't make at home: refrigerated or frozen products, low acid um, uh, canned foods, dairy products, seafood products, and bottled water. Uh, but yeah, they, they have a, a stipulation here that says if you have a pet that comes in your home at any time, you cannot manufacture uh, homes uh, um, or food in your home. This would be uh, a violation of the good manufacturing practices uh, as they're um, uh, you know ap- applied uh, in our state. Is that is that a risk based uh, rule, Ben? Well, you know that's a great question. Probably. <laughs> Right. Okay. Like, like, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that you, you got a situation of, um, is it, is it a high risk practice? Probably not. Right. But is there, is there, a, a different risk, um, that might be measurable with having, you know, cats in a home that may go in a food processing area? I, I mean, I, I guess so. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's a risk management, um, it's a decision that the regulators, or the rule at least here, um, are um, uh, are imposing, uh, you know, based on on someone's calculation of risk. Well, I, calculation. I'm, yeah. I'm going to put uh, I'm going to put, put Richard fingers Richard fingers around that. Yeah. I okay. I, I could see you do that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I guess I would say, certainly, if you have reptiles in your home. I would have I would that would give me pause for concern um, if you have um, any animals that have been linked to petting zoo outbreaks in your home. I would um, I would that would give me pause. Um, but also, honestly, I suppose if you have dogs in your home and 
Uh, we know dog treats have been linked to illness, so I suppose there's cross contamination there. But but now you're getting pretty, I don't know, you're getting pretty pretty far down uh, far down the list in terms of risk from from my perspective. So, but then this is only because I have dogs in my home, Ben, and I might want to start a home based business in New Jersey. Yeah. Never well, know. There you go. Yeah. Well, just don't don't do that here with your um, vacation property here in North Carolina. Don't bring the dogs. Right. When, when you're when you're doing it. Um, yeah, so I mean, I like I, I've been a proponent of this. I, I, I and it I really comes back to a lot of the stuff that we've talked about over many episodes. Raw milk being one of them. I'm a fan of if people are going to do this, let's put some rules around it and 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 let's make sure that they're that they're risk based. But let's have let's have a process. Let's have a formalization instead of saying, you know what, if you're making food at home, it's it's illegal. And we know that people are going to make it and break that law and sell it at farmers markets or wherever, um, or you know, direct to consumers. Or on the other way, it's like, well, if you're making food at home and you're only selling it direct to consumers, then you're exempt. I like I like where we are. Where if you're if you're going to make food at home, here are the types of foods that you're allowed to do. You're going to need to talk to somebody from a, 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 you know in a regulatory inspection. You're going to have to show them that you have a you know an understanding of these are you know. These are low risk foods, you know, not like, you know, all jams and jellies, but let's talk about the specific things that you're going to make. Um, and let's, let's have a conversation about, you know, what it is that you're, you're wanting to, to make. And then, and then there's like a, um, a process for it. And so, um, just, you know, and we'll link to this in, in show notes. Um, we, in the inspection, the request for inspection, it's really an application form, um, you have to talk about what type of foods that you're going to make, um, and it, you know it says only only finished products that are shelf stable and don't need refrigeration um, may pr- be produced in a, in a home kitchen. Um, you really you have to provide a brief written business plan where you talk about the detailed list of products, um, indicate where the home kitchen is located. Um, what your ingredients are, your suppliers, how you're going to store your supplies. I mean, essentially, your business plan becomes a small food safety plan. Um, you talk about general production flow, how you're going to transport it, and that becomes the the entry point here. And I like that. I think that's that that's reasonable. Well, and there's there's a lot here that I like. Um, and I guess I keep getting stuck on this this pet thing. So what if what if uh, step two A was do you have a pet? Blah blah blah. What if step two B was do you have a child that comes in your home at any time, right, even right. if only at night? Right. I mean, yeah. let's let's talk about risk. Right. Are kids riskier than pets? I would say, well, I don't know. They get diarrhea sometimes. Um, you know. So, uh, wh- I mean, again. So I mean, a, yeah. lo- a lot to like. A lot to like on this North Carolina webpage. Right. I mean. I, I really, I mean, I like, I like the the checklist about um, restroom and and hand washing and hot and cold running water and a thermometer in your refrigerator and um, you know that you have to have sewer or septic. Um, I, I I think light bulbs in the kitchen have to have protective shields or be shatterproof. I think that's I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing. Um, but I, I I'm just not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm just I'm just kind of being a, a pass. Oh, well water inspection. I think that's yep. great. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean. You know, anyway. Well, and and I guess you know, not to to guess at where it comes from, is probably from uh, the GMPs where you know um, the FDA's GMPs where where you're not to have uh, you know domestic animals in a food processing environment. 
Oh, right. I totally understand why it's there. I'm yeah. just I'm just arguing whether it's, it's well and truly risk based. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Um, and, and that's that's, you know, whatever. Well, that's and, that's fine. I mean, we, it is what it is. Right. 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 And we can get down the, the path of um, the, you know, dogs on patios and restaurants or dogs in, in you know, non um, uh, service dogs in, in restaurants um, uh, or farmers markets where, you know, the likely the, the risk is is probably very, very small. Um, you're uh, from a food contamination standpoint, you probably don't want dogs in, in those areas, uh, for, um, dog bite reasons more than anything. Right. Like it's right. It's, it's not about the, the food safety risks. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, good, good luck with this process. Um, there's, uh, a, a really nice, um, uh, PowerPoint that I'm going to send you to. Uh, from Joe Corby at AFTO. Yep. Um, yep. That you might have you may have seen already. No, uh, I, but no, but I just I know I know AFTO and I know Joe. So yeah. So where it goes through um, uh, this, you know, I mentioned to you that uh, AFTO did a um, at least some sort of a, an environmental scan of of regulations and 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 came up with a really nice document on uh, regulatory guidance uh, for cottage foods. And he's got a really nice uh, PowerPoint that that I think that there's a document around as well uh, that that steps through a few years ago where many states were at when it comes to regulating and just the patchwork nature of that, right? Like, and this is the you know that's that you can apply that to state regulations on lots of different things, but how you know certain certain states will will allow jams and jellies and others won't. Others will only be baked goods. Some states will say no pickles. Um, some will say, yeah, you can have pickles, but you have to go through some, um, uh, um, required training that's not better process control school, but is related to home base pickling, um, and, and some really interesting stuff. And, and we had, um, we, we had a really, uh, um, you know, short discussion, um, uh, around kimchi, uh, in our state, um, right before our, the FSPCA uh, meeting, where where this con- conversation uh, really really started, where kimchi is not an acidified food, but it's a fermented food, and it's um, refrigerated, but not for safety reasons, right? It's refrigerated for spoilage or to at least halt the um, the fermentation process because or slow it down, not not halt it. So, you know. Um, as more processors look to that and probably start out in a home before they go into a shared use facility, um, it's this kind of you know not not gray area, but but I don't think that the rule um, that we have was built with kimchi in mind or sauerkraut, right, right, right. You know, that kind of stuff. So, so anyway, yeah. Um, uh, let us let us know. Come come back and 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 give us more feedback uh, or an update on this as you as you go forward. I, I certainly will. Um. So I saw something I wanted to talk about, and again, just break breaking news stuff. I picked this up today in my scan of the food safety world news, and it's this really um, tragic story. Um, where I just you know look at it as as a uh, from a parent perspective, um, and so 
the headline article is tragedy as smiling baby Tyler Wilson dies of salmonella at five months old. So when I see the headline, I think, oh, man, we've got a, uh, you know, it, I, I know why this is news, because, you know, anytime an infant um, dies in, in, you know, unexpected ways, you know, people are, are going to report on it. As I read through the, the article, it, it becomes even more tragic to me. Um, and, and here's the, uh, the highlights. So Tyler um, died in November 2014. So it's like, okay, well, what's, why, why is this news in, in May? Um, he, he had no symptoms, but on the morning of November uh, 25th, 2014, he was discovered unresponsive by his, by his mother um, as she was uh, changing his diaper. Um, and the, um, the panic-stricken parents uh, so went, you know, sort of ran out and, uh, of their home and uh, were screaming for help because he was unresponsive. And, um, and I go to find out that the reason why this is news today is because there's a pu- been a public inquest over the last two years on this death. There was a criminal investigation um, in, into the parents, and um, there is a senior coroner uh, who r- ruled that the you know that this uh, child died of natural causes and it was from an a- acute salmonella infection, um, and so I, I look at this and, and think you know wow, what not only are you dealing with um, uh, a situation where where a child dies which which is you know I I can't think of words to to really capture it other than you know devastating. Um, but now you're you're sort of dragged through this this inquest and having to to prove that or you know maybe not not having to prove but but being part of this this questioning process of what led to this death and and ultimately um, you know salmonella was uh, has been ruled as as the as the cause but to relive it you know over a two year period um, I just I just can't imagine what this you know what these individuals go through because you know you're you're looking at um okay how does a five-month-old get salmonella there's lots of different uh ways um that salmonella can get introduced into a home and you know either cross-contaminated or passed to a child um an infection from um you know maybe who knows i don't i don't even want to speculate so you're dealing with oh my gosh my kid got salmonella and I'm, I, I'm and my infant got salmonella and my job is to protect them. But then being questioned over time about other sources, I just, you know, this one really struck me today as like, wow, this can't imagine going through this. Yeah. So, so number one, your child dies. And number two, we're going to take two years to make sure that you didn't kill him. Right. And, 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 uh, and yeah, and uh, again, reading from the story seven months before they could even bury him. Right. So uh, yeah, this is, this is horrible. Yeah. And and so the coroner says um so terrapins held handled by the father. So terrapins for those mm. um who don't know are turtles. Um mm-hmm. and uh might have been the source for it, but it could have laid dormant for some time. You never really know. And and just, you know, like wow. <laughs> Well, and and also, as we said earlier, just a few minutes ago, talking about home foods, um, reptiles, right? If you you have reptiles in your home, 
you should pretty much assume that you have salmonella in your home, right? right. Um, and you should be aware of that. So uh, if you have if you have turtles, if you have snakes, if you have lizards, treat them as salmonella factories, right? And 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 deal with it accordingly. Um, and if you have small kids, you might want to rethink your choice of reptiles as a pet. Right. right. I mean, I, you know, I, it's not it's not 100 percent. And again, I don't I haven't done a risk assessment on this, but, um, you know, it's it's risky. And, 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 and again, no no conclusive link here um, between the Terrapins and, and the kid's death. But um, boy, that sure seems like a likely source to me. Right. A risk factor. We know. Absolutely. Right? Risk factor. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, just to, to close the circle on this one. Um, it was, you know, the um, interview with the father afterwards. He said it was seven months before we could bury Tyler, uh, who we laid to rest the day after his first birthday. Like, Ugh. so just to go through that, the autopsy, I, I just, you know, I just can't imagine it. Right. Like, like this is, uh, you know, salmonella, it's a, it's a foodborne pathogen. It's not just about, you know, someone gets sick. And, and in, in fact, it's not even just about someone gets sick and dies, right? Like now we've got this this other much more elaborate um, consequence of uh, uh, tragically a five-month-old dies and, and you have to go through a police investigation. It's just yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and insane in a like I, not, not – don't, don't uh, um, you know, take my words incorrectly there. It's not insane that – um, it, when there's a suspicious death, I think we need to have an investigation, right? Like the the insanity is what what they what they probably went through. Yeah. Oh. Um. So there was another another thing I wanted to uh, to talk about here. Okay. Uh, th- about uh, you know speaking of deaths related to salmonella and, and foodborne pathogens. Um. The uh, Peanut Corporation of America executives, uh, they were um, their sentencing was delayed for a, about a year, but it had to do with the jury conduct, and I didn't sort of realize this. So there was a, an article uh, yesterday in, in Food Safety News from from Dan Flynn, um, which which steps through um, a, a process in. Uh, that's uh, going through an appellate court right now, um, and it, they're as, as part of this this appeal process, they're suggesting that there was a, a quote of "fry them" in comments made in the jury room, uh, which may have uh, tainted the the jury uh, the uh, judicial process, I guess. Um, and uh, and this was was something that that sort of delayed uh, a process. So, um, quote uh, quote here um, from the from the record um um it was the um jurors were questioned under oath um said that uh and when juror number 10 said other jurors made statements about the deaths a few times during the trial shared their opinions that the defendants were guilty before deliberations began uh, quote, it was pretty much just stated up front, said one juror. Juror 37 recalled that a bunch of other jurors knew about the case and made comments such as fry them. Jurors knew seven or nine people died and stuff like that. So, um, you know, anytime you have this really, really high profile case, I'm sure it's cr- incredibly difficult for an impartial uh, a jury to to be uh, I- impartial and, and not know anything about, uh, you know, about the case. 
uh, coming up. But but here we you know, we have a obviously from the stuff uh, uh, that's come out in the in the records from our judgment, right? We're not jurors, but in in my, you know my judgment, we, you know I've talked about it. That there was some egregious stuff that happened at PCA, um, and and we have to preserve the uh, judicial process on this. Um, and, and you know, I, hopefully, I, you know things things don't change based on. Um, you know, I, I don't know technicality of the process. I don't. I don't know. Right. Where, yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah. No. And 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 again. And you're absolutely right. So. And I have said on this podcast and elsewhere, um, th- what these guys did was reprehensible. Right. And and again, I, I also. I'm not an apologist for the food industry, but I talk to regular people who don't know about the food industry, and I explain that it's you know 99.9 something percent good people, and then there's Peanut Corporation of America, right? Um, so what these guys did was reprehensible. I don't think I ever used the adjectives "fry them" um, or the, the the phrase "fry them." So but, are you saying um, you're not juror number 37? I, I am. Yeah. I am not <laughs> juror, juror number uh, 10 or 34 or any of those other numbers. Um, but uh, but um, I understand that sentiment. But I also respect the the right to a fair trial and the appropriate judicial process, et cetera, et cetera. So, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tricky. So, yeah. yeah. So, and, and again, you know, like you and I talk about the, um, we talk about risk and we talk about illnesses and we talk about burden and here you have this, this, and there was another uh, thing that I saw last week where um, the Dole uh, Listeria outbreak in 2000 and, uh, I think it was 15, uh, a couple of cases settled. Like the spread, the ripple effect of a foodborne illness is, is, is so much more than just the, um, you know, the pathogen and the person that got sick, right? Like there's, there's all this stuff that, that comes up when you look at food business and injury and, um, you know, and, 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 and deaths and, and criminal inquests and, and all this kind of stuff. Like it is, um, it's so much bigger than, than us. And it, it's not all the time that you get, I think reminded of it. Just there were a few stories this week that, that caught my attention for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, 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 very much so. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the, the food safety and the science of it is interesting, but, but the legal, the legal aspects and the other, the other aspects beyond the science are, are always very interesting. Hey, so, um, one thing, uh, that I, I, I just, I was thinking like, so one of the things that I do in preparation for this podcast is if we get any listener feedback, I save that in the Dropbox and in, in the appropriate place. But then I, I sometimes I forget like which things are um, important, um, f- you know, for listener feedback. Because one of the things that I, I always like to do is, if we get feedback from the listeners, I, I want to acknowledge it and and react to it if we have time on the podcast. And we usually have time, um, but I find that sometimes that gets lost. And and so we have um, right now we have uh, uh, let's see what do we have here? We have like I don't know like uh, I'm trying not to mess this up. We have dozens. Um, we have, let's see, we have exactly 31 different things that we could talk about, some of which we've already talked about, but right. mixed in with those things are, um, listener feedback. And then I realized that I have this wonderful ability in my operating system to, uh, color code, uh, various files. And so I have, uh, color coded, uh, certain ones so that we can do, uh, listener feedback. Oh, so, uh, yeah, so that they will stand out. Um, because, because of course I always sort things, um, the only good way, which is, uh, chronic chronologically, um, a reverse chronological. So the, the current ones are at the top. So, so right now there's like six things at the top that you added. And then all the other things that I added <laughs> slowly over time in the bottom. Um, but I want to, um, I want to talk about, um, feedback from, uh, listener Keith. So 
Could you guys please discuss on your podcast what it means to wash food? The salad greens I buy say thoroughly washed. The strawberries wash before using. I wash my car. I wash my clothes, my hair. Somehow, I love this. Thank you, Keith. Um, uh, I wash my my car, my clothes, my hair. Somehow, washing food must be different. I use a vegetable brush when washing carrots or potatoes, but not when washing strawberries. What is the best way to wash food? I never use anything other than running water. Is that sufficient? Uh, maybe just just comment on a few examples: fresh spinach, strawberries, carrots. Oh, and and this is so great. Thank you, Keith. My wife is British, yes. and when we argue. It's a row. Yes, it's plow. a row. It's a row. I was... Row rhymes with plow. So thank you, Keith. Thanks to your lovely British wife. Um, uh, no, no, no name um, uh, uh, or name withheld. Um, yeah. So, so, so thank you. This is an excellent question. It's one that we've touched on before that that we will undoubtedly touch on again. Um, so. Uh, my advice, and it's not just my advice, it's the advice of Mary Palumbo and other experts. If you buy something that says uh, triple washed, um, there is no need for you to rewash it. It is as clean as it is going to be. Um, and so if you buy a bag of salad that is triple washed, you um, uh, you do not need to wash that. Um, if uh, the strawberries say wash before using, uh, yes, you should you should wash them. Um, washing is perhaps a bit of a misnomer. I would say certainly you can rinse them in cold water, in cold running water. Um, you should not use, as Keith has correctly surmised, you should not use a vegetable brush on strawberries because that will destroy the strawberries and get um, uh, strawberry gunk all over the brush. So that won't work, right? Um, certainly, if you have something like uh, carrots or potatoes, um, you can uh, you can brush the outside. Uh, often, I will uh, scrub potatoes before baking them because I like to bake them with the skin on because uh, that's where a lot of the nutrients are. With carrots, um, I'll rinse them under water. I may not scrub them, and then I'll just peel them. Now, I do know, actually, from some research that my graduate student, uh, Jin uh, Jung, is doing with cucumbers, and I suspect the same is true with carrots. And we, we may have even shown this with carrots, too, with some, some summer, summer research project unpublished. Um, as you peel, um, you do reduce the contamination, but you actually will also um, – uh, there is cross-contamination that occurs during the peeling process. So in other words, if you start with bacteria on the outside and you peel – um, you will remove that outer layer, but there are some bacteria that get transferred to the inner layer during the peeling process. So I suppose if you really wanted to be fastidious when washing carrots, you could wash the outside and then peel. That might lead to a lower a level of uh, contamination, but but not necessarily. So um, so the, the the short answer, or the the so that's the long answer. The short answer to your question: the best way to wash food depends upon the food. Oh, and then the other thing about running water: definitely, I recommend to people do not use soap. Dish soap is designed for washing dishes. It is not designed for washing produce. Um, if you want to buy a produce wash at your local market, um, you can do that. Um, there's a lot of these products out there that not, have not really been tested. Um, for a number of years, Procter & Gamble made a product called Fit, um, which actually was uh, rather 
um, widely tested. Uh, I think uh, Linda Harris and Larry Bouchard evaluated it, not the consumer product, but they I think they evaluated a food service product, uh, which showed that it was pretty good. Um, we've done some trials with unpublished trials with um, uh, Ecolab's product called Victory, uh, which is used in the Rutgers University dining halls. And so certainly, um, you know, we, we recommended to Rutgers that they that they could use that, that we did see an actual difference um, uh, between washing with that and plain water, uh, but also realized that Washing with plain water is going to give you about a one log reduction, depending. And if you wash with uh, with some sort of a, a product with an active ingredient, you might get a two log reduction, but you're probably not going to get much more than that. So 90% or 99% reduction, which is good, but again, it's not uh, it's not perfect. And so, um, and a potato that you're going to bake uh, is going to have a different risk than uh, spinach, which you're going to eat fresh. So that's my uh, two cents on washing food, Ben. Yeah, so I my mine is it depends what you're washing for, right? Um, Good point. Yeah, so and, and uh, we'll, we're going to link to um, a story that was in Slate uh, about a year ago, um, looking at why solid greens are always labeled triple washed, and um, I think the um, I worked um, with with the um, journalist on that uh, Stephen Curse uh, quite a bit on on background where he was really interested in, in that you know in the question. Um, and, and we got into a lot of the stuff that, that you just talked about, Don, on, um, on, on risk. I, I look at washing, um, fresh produce as a way for me to control quality more than, than safety. Um, you know, we, we think about, um, attachment of pathogens and, and, uh, just pathogens like to get in areas where they have, um, nutrients and they're protected from the environment and sometimes they can get into spots especially um, on on what looks like smooth surfaces but are actually really rough they can get in areas where you can't even get the um, the water molecules with the sanitizer in them or you know connected to them to that spot so you just aren't you know it, it really doesn't do much um, in in certain you know cert- it, it, it's not it does something. Um, but it, but it's not going to make your, your produce, um, uh, you know, pathogen free or even a lot, you know, achieve a, uh, a five log reduction. You may get a one, one to two log reduction, uh, at the most. Um, and so that's the, you know, the, the big thing for, for me, as, as I try to keep in mind when I talk about it is, um, yeah, I, I do it mainly to reduce the likelihood that there's some grit or, other um, physical hazard, uh, and it may reduce me my my risk of foodborne illness a little bit. You know, and I, I actually, I, so thank you for reminding me about the Slate article. I must have looked at it recently or relatively recently because it did show up as a um, uh, different colored link in, in Google. Um, but I thought it was fascinating that when this reporter, uh, Stephen Kurse, went to talk to the industry, yeah. they didn't tell him anything. No. And, and honestly, Ben, I think it's because they don't know why they triple wash it, right? I love I love his premise. Why do they not wash it twice or four times, but three times? I, <laughs> I don't I don't think they know why they wash it three times. And if there's somebody out there in the industry who knows why three instead of four or two or eleven, that's a Spinal Tap reference. Um, uh, let us know, okay? Because I really want to know my. My strong hypothesis is that that it's a matter of convenience or practicality, but it has it is not science based. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I'm I'm with you. So anyway, it was a nice. I, I like I, I keep using this one. 
uh, when people ask about washing because it's uh, I thought he did a, a good job and and it, it, it went at it from I'm going to ask the industry right like I want I want them to share and I think there was a video that went along with this it's not linked here um, but yeah it was it's a good it's a good one um more listener feedback you and I have homework uh oh right. Did you know this? We did. Um, we, about it. we did. Oh, what was our homework? Well, so and we're we're gonna get we're gonna get to this, but we had um, uh, an author send us a book. Oh right? yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and so I uh, just uh, to paraphrase uh, some of this, and it, the privacy level on the email is share all details freely. So we will do so. Uh, an author named uh, Julie Morris um, uh, recently sent us a, a copy of uh, each a copy of her book. Um, she said she recently published her first novel about a national E. coli outbreak and would love uh, uh, love for us to look at it and um, and get our thoughts uh, and maybe join us on on an episode. Um, and so um, we you know, she uh, sent it to us and we're gonna take a look at it and get back. Yeah, and and you know it's so funny because I, as I, I think you listen to Back to Work, um, the podcast with Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin, and I do too, and they are constantly being pitched by authors that want to be on their podcast. But these are authors that have obviously never listened to their podcast and don't realize that uh, they would never have them on because that's not what they do on that show. And so I, I did I did laugh a little bit at, at this email from uh, from Julie, but but I, she she actually is a real person. She actually did send us copies of her book with a lovely handwritten note and. Um, um, yeah, and I think uh, I, I'm, I'm only a, a little bit in. I'm only like one or two chapters in, but it's 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 pretty engaging. And uh, I, I have I already have a list of questions that I want to ask her. So uh, anyway, we're going to finish reading the book. Um, we'll link to uh, uh, juliefmorris.com, her website, and the book is featured prominently there. And uh, yeah, more to come. Yeah, and the book's called Exit Strategy. For Exit Strategy, yeah, yes. For those who are who are looking at it, yeah. Um. Uh, so more more listener feedback, Ben. Um. Uh, and this is from, uh, uh, a listener, Zach, uh, who says, uh, this article got me thinking, and I'm, I'm not sure which article he's talking about, but this article got me thinking. It's a good question. Uh, how do I know what food is safe to eat if I find a mold on a few parts? Is there any food out there that is safe to eat if I find mold on some, but not the whole food item? What if I plan on cooking the food? Is mold a good proxy that the food may not be safe from other pathogens like bacteria. So I, I have some comments on this, Ben, but do you have a uh, initial reaction? Yeah. So uh, if there's lots of food that's safe to eat with mold in it, like blue cheese, uh, that was, <laughs> that was my first like, ha ha ha. Um, no, it's, I mean, I think this is a really um, pertinent and, and uh, common question that, that you and I probably both encounter uh, when we talk to journalists around general food safety uh, questions because uh, yeah there's there's a um, confusion probably uh, out there on mold versus bacteria versus viruses versus spoilage and off flavors and colors and salmonella and all these things are all kind of like mixed together in in public discussion and 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 maybe in in you know certain um, uh, uh, parts of the population's, uh, um, you know, understanding of, of risk. And so, um, for me, here's, here's how I kind of handle it. Um, if I see uh, mold on hard cheese, I cut around that, 
that uh, mold area by about an inch uh, because there might be some mold fibers, tentacles that end up through the um, weaving its way through the cheese and that, that I couldn't see from the, from the visible part. Um, I, you know, I, I worry about mold in peanuts um, and nut products uh, just because of aflatoxins. And, um, and, and so that's, that's an area that if I, it, I when I go, I go to, um, I used to go to a lot of baseball games and um, almost every time I'd go to a baseball game, I would uh, buy a, a bag of, you know, salted in this in the shell peanuts. And inevitably, um, you know, uh, 20% of the time or 30% of the time, I'd get a really moldy um, uh, uh, peanut once it opened up. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding that one. I'm not, I can't, I can't salvage that. And I, I'm worried about some aflatoxins. Um, I, uh, I don't eat a lot of, yeah, it, it, I think it's really hard to manage some of the softer foods and mold. Um, you something like, uh, bread or, um, you know, any, any, any of the, um, you soft cheeses, uh, stuff that, that you can, you know, grow, grow mold just from a, a storage issue. Um, fresh pro, you know, produce. I, I tend to not, um, eat any of that that's gone moldy. Cause uh, you know, the, the spoilage it, that, that mold could be, um, working hand in hand with other, um, spoilage mar- microorganisms and, and it's there for a reason because it's been held incorrectly or there's an entry point, all, you know, all that, um, all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess the, you know, coming down to the last um, two questions here, what if I plan on cooking the food? Well, I guess it depends on the food and, and I would worry about any of the off flavors that might've already, you know, uh, occurred because of the mold production and how that's changed the, um, the, the food itself. And um, is mold a good proxy for the food might not be safe for other pathogens like bacteria? Well, not, not necessarily. Um, it, it might be a good proxy that there's spoilage uh, or that's been held uh, for a long time. But I don't, you know, I don't look at, especially with the hard cheese example, uh, cheddar cheese that, that's got mold on it as um you know increased likelihood that there might be listeria growth uh in that uh in that cheese just because it's not a great um uh environment for for pathogens to grow but it is a good environment for the mold to grow so how's that how's that Uh, that that's that's really good um and there is um there is there are there are a series of articles um, uh, out of the Food Research Institute at the University of Wisconsin um, by a young graduate student by the name of Bob Brackett. <laughs> you, you may have heard of Dr. Brackett. Um, uh, and and uh, Elmer Marth, who was his uh, uh, PhD advisor, where they looked at mycotoxins, aflatoxin in particular, and mold in particular in cheese, and in fact did some research uh, to look at the penetration. They, they actually took uh, mycotoxigenic um, aflatoxin, inoculated it on cheese, and then basically uh, assayed to fi- figure out how deep that mycotoxin, depending upon the degree of mold, how deep that, that mycotoxin penetrated. 
to come up with basically a science-based recommendation for how if, if you could cut the mold off a piece of cheese. And it turns out you can. Uh, turns out you don't you don't get penetration. Um, but it also turns out that this was long enough ago that it's very difficult to find the the exact uh, reference. So I, I wanted to link to that in in show notes, and I know I've found it before, and I know it's somewhere in my files, but I was uh, unfortunately not uh, not able to find it. But the bottom line is, yes, you can cut um, mold off of a piece of cheese. Um, foods that other foods that are moldy, um, I would be somewhat more skeptical. I mean, as you point out, um, what's the, the hyphal penetration? Um, also like what's, uh, we don't know for many of these for cheese, it's a, it's a pretty dense matrix. And so it takes the mycotoxin a while to penetrate. For many other foods like bread, for example, we don't know the degree to which that mycotoxin might penetrate. So I would say, you know, when in doubt, throw it out. Uh, good old-fashioned extension advice. Um, but certainly with hard cheeses, you can uh, you can uh, cut around the mold. Uh, bang on. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to add. Good. Yeah, I'm, and I'm really sorry. I can't find the I can't find that article. Um, that's 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 going to bug me. But I'll see if I can. I'll keep looking for it. Well, there you go. Um, so I, I have a two two more quick bits of follow up from listeners. Um, from one listener, um, and that is um, uh, two links provided um, uh, from listener Rachel, uh, who is a. a uh, a longtime listener and uh, and frequent uh, and frequent uh, commenter um, on rat lungworm, and uh, she, she sent a link to the fabulous book called the Sixth Edition of Parasitic Diseases, and then also um, uh, a recommendation, which I think is a good one as well, um, uh, for the competing podcast, not competing, but but another podcast called This Week in Parasitism, uh, which is which is a, a ASM podcast on parasites and so we will we will link to both of those uh yeah this uh rat lungworm stuff is getting some some traction too like it's hmm? um we talked about it and and i got a little i i read three or four other articles covering that initial um um report out of uh, out of hawaii um, so I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, like we, we talked about in the last episode, this might be something that we, um, that we see more of. And one of the things that I didn't think about, I don't think we mentioned this is this, you know, it, it's a, um, it's a, a tropical, um, you know, disease, you know, parasite. Right. Right. Um, and I wonder if uh, climate change is going to impact this in, uh, as well mm. for us. That's a very good point. I suspect that it would. Yeah. So. So there you go. Um, hey, I want to talk about Blue Apron. Oh, me too. Okay. So our good friend, uh, friend of the pod, Linda Harris, um, sent us a, a link to an NPR, uh, sorry, a BuzzFeed story um, about uh, proposed food safety regulations in they're going on, or at least the discussions going on in the California um, uh, uh, State Assembly. Um, and it, it's kind of an interesting situation. So um, Blue Apron um, and the uh, and and their similar style mail order food um, food production uh, type you know type items. Uh, and and so for those of you who don't know about Blue Apron, you um, essentially uh, food ingredients are um, are shipped to you 
and with a recipe and you go ahead and prepare the prepare the food but it's like i think you can get three four or five meals a week um uh, there's there's so yeah. so we i think we talked about this so there's basically as i understand it because we are now blue apron customers full disclaimer um there are two sizes there's like the the food for two and then there's family gotcha 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 and and the food for two comes with three meals so right. three, so six, six meals, th- three, three different dishes, uh, each was serving two people. Okay. There you go. So anyway, you get, you get stuff that comes to you. Um, and, uh, there's a, um, a legislature in, in California who's proposed a bill that these types of, um, businesses should be subjected to, um, a, a, a law that would require employees to obtain food handler cards, um, and which is the, uh, a type of food safety um, certification um, that, that is already uh, required in California restaurants and food preparation jobs. So, so essentially the, the idea is let's treat this business like a retail uh, entity or a restaurant um, business. And, and Blue Apron's kind of pushing back and saying, no – we're not really like those businesses. We're more like a food processor and we, where a food processor who's handling fresh produce like this um, would not be required to have a food handler uh, card, right? Like they would fall under um, uh, food processing regulations now um, as, you know, as, as it gets uh, implemented in states, uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act and preventive controls. Or potentially, depending on how Blue Apron set up, but I think it would be preventive controls, um, or you know, or the produce rule may uh, impact uh, this type of business. Where in neither of those rules is there a requirement for a food handler card, which is a, uh, a, a um, I, I think in California it's a two to four hour course. Uh, sorry, I tried to cough and turn my microphone mm. off, and it didn't work at all. It's okay. I ended up coughing before I muted. I didn't hear it, so. Oh, good. Okay. Then I, I did it again at work. It just it was an awkward pause. It was an awkward pause. Um, so so anyway, um, Blue Apron uh, was was contacted by BuzzFeed, and they told um, Blue, uh, BuzzFeed that they're not formally opposing the legislation. What they're saying is they ju- it just doesn't apply to them. So uh, using them as an example uh, isn't, you know, isn't true because they're a food processing facility. So, so this I, I wanted to talk to you about it because I know you are uh, part of a, a conference for food protection committee that's looking at mail order food, where you know certain types of businesses you know may fall under um, retail law and not food processing. And so, can you can you shed some light on on where that where that committee is in, in the process? Yeah, so the committee is, um, and I think we talked about this on the last podcast too. But but it's 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 worth continuing to talk about because I'm really glad that I signed up for the CFP committee because I think this is really one of those breaking wave issues. Like the wave is is cresting, right? If you look at, and again, full disclaimer, um, I, I toured Amazon Fresh facility. Um, I've talked with those folks. Um, uh, we we buy we we have had one delivery from Blue Apron um, considering signing up for Amazon Fresh. So it's definitely a thing that is, is I'm, I'm interested in as a consumer. And also there's some, some entanglements there professionally. Um, so I think this is coming. Um, 
the the reason why well so there was a CFP committee charged with this and again I'm I'm entangled there too because I was part of a grant um, to uh, Tennessee State and Rutgers University to order some of these mail order meats and then to test them um, you know look at at temperatures on arrival and test them for the presence of bacteria et cetera and we what we found was some some problems so in part in response to those findings those research findings we um, uh, there a CFP committee was created. Um, um, and, and I volunteered to be on it, and, and indeed I am on it. And so what the committee is doing is coming up with a best practice guidance document. Um, and in this document, we are – and we start there – there's already an existing UK document, which we sort of took as our, our template to sort of the bones to get us started. And then we're sort of you know modifying as we see fit and then – you know, working, you know, in, including like U.S. phrasing and language and U.S. regulations to just basically talk about, okay, let's say I want to go into the mail order business. What are the best practices that I need to follow? And so I'm, I'm pleased to see that California is, you know, pursuing regulations. Um, I can understand why Blue Apron, Blue Apron might be opposed. Um, it's a brave new world. And then one of the things that blew my mind is that they're really so there are regulations governing the site that is going to ship the food right, right so if right. you if if you are in a, a blue apron facility or an amazon fresh facility or omaha steaks or joe's crab shack or you know whatever you know jack's crab shack uh, i'm trying to name a fictitious thing and you are packing this stuff and sending it that place where you are handling that food and packing up that food that is absolutely covered under something right it's either a processing facility or it's a retail facility okay and then you take that food you put it in a box and you send it you know via the postal service or federal express or UPS or someone else, okay, there are, and this is mind boggling, there are really no regulations that govern that. Right. right. And there are there are there are probably best practices, but they've not been codified. And so um, that's part of what our group is doing. Um, and so it's really it's a bit of Wild West. Like anybody can set up a website. And in fact we have people on the committee, public health people uh, on the committee that like they like they go and try to inspect these facilities. How do they learn about them? Well, they go on Facebook and they look for people. Again, this is back to cottage foods, Ben, yep. in many ways. They, they're looking for people who are doing this, and then they go out and they inspect their facilities. And so this is this is, I don't want to say gigantic, but this is this is a reg, in my opinion, and again, people may disagree. there's a there's a regulatory loophole there. In terms of those, it's essentially unregulated, right? And there's no uh, certainly, and the good companies, again, I, I, I we again, the, based on the one shipment from Blue Apron we received, it was very well packaged. Um, it was cold when it arrived. Um, uh, same thing with, um, you know, from everything I can tell from what the folks at Amazon are doing, they really take food safety seriously. They really uh, are focused on temperature control. They know temperature control is important. They know, and again, there, there's issues about like, so what control do we have over, um, what do we know about temperature, right? So what's the season? What do we know about delivery times? What do we know about uncertainties in delivery times? What are we going to do to educate our customer about what to do. Um, we, we can, we, we want the food to, um, again, the worst case is, and this is the whole, the whole 
grant that we wrote uh, to FSIS started because someone sent Bill Hallman a gift and it arrived on his doorstep and he didn't know it was there and it sat there and and there was and when he opened it up and he's a he's a, a risk communication guy he's not a food safety guy but he sure has learned a whole lot about food safety and he's very knowledgeable he he knew that this was not right like right this package showed up that he was not expecting that didn't have any food safety information in it at all um and it was like this this can't be right this can't be right, but yet th- that's what it is, right? So anyway, it's uh, it's really, it's really a a big uh, potential uh, loophole. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, I'm I'm really glad I'm on the committee. I hope we produce a useful document. But that's that's kind of my my uh, two cents on this. Yeah, it's. I, thanks for for sharing all that because I think, um, it you know the the more innovative businesses get the more you know things like this you know our, our current regulations our current guidance aren't we didn't even think about it right like there's right there's, it's it's hard to to predict um in you know it, it, when you write the food code or you start looking at um you, you're regulating different kinds of businesses that that mail order food was even even a, a thing um and and I look at um, and you know another thing that that is not I don't think within the scope of of your um, uh, the that committee, but it's um, like um, Uber food delivery and um, what's yep. the one that I use here um, order up, which are third party folks that are going to pick up your food and transport it to you. And, yep. and they don't handle it. I, you know, I, I get that, but, but temperature is, you know, temperature certainly matters and time certainly matters. Um, and, and it's probably pretty, pretty low risk, but if that was a delivery person that was working as part of a, um, a, they would still be considered a food employee if they were part of the business that's delivering it or right. that was making it. So, you know, there's stuff like that where it's, you know, a whole other business model that, that just didn't didn't exist. Now you know it, it, it's maybe a, an easy answer, but it's something that's that's currently outside of the scope of what everyone is regulating. Agreed. Um, so yeah, I don't know what what'll happen with this uh, Blue Apron stuff. I think it's kind of. I think they have a a, a point um, on hey regulate us like a food processor because what we're doing is packet processing and packaging foods that we then send to people. Um, and, um, and, and let us take care of food handling, um, for our employees as part of, you know, GMPs and, and preventive controls. Um, right. And what I would really like to see is, well, I'd like to see the CFP committee be successful and come up with some, what are best practices for sending foods through the common carrier. Right. And well, and again, we're not talking about pizza delivery. We're not talking about restaurant delivery. We're probably not talking about the Uber thing that you're talking about. Right. right. So we need, to, and this is something that we've been struggling with as a committee, right. Is, is how do you differentiate between uh, restaurant delivery and something else, right? Where it's essentially, it goes to a third party. But again, you got to be careful about how you phrase that because, you know, I mean, at some, some point, these companies may have their own, uh, fleet of trucks, but, but again, I mean, again, then, then it gets to the transportation rules. So, but, but I mean, so, but what, what I mean, really what we're talking about is putting food in a box and, and giving it to a third party, 
to, to, to deliver to somebody at a time that's like more than four hours. Right. 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 And we need, and, and there's definitely room for best practices there. There's definitely some best practices that we could develop. Um, and, and how do we, how do we do that? Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, and, and I'm glad that people are looking at it, right? Like that, that, that it actually, um, that, that we have, um, folks that are like, Hey, it's a good idea that we actually look at these new business models. And not let them they're because they're coming, Ben. They're right. absolutely they're coming, right? Yeah. I so I have one more thing that it's not in the um, in the news or in the news in our uh, next file yet that I wanted to talk about before before we go. Um, and you might have some other stuff, but my last one on my list was around food trucks. Um, sure. So I, I I've um, in the last week or so I've done sort of multiple. Um, interviews around food trucks. There's some, something big's about to hit. I don't know what it is, but it may be one of these like coordinated. Um, everybody on Saturday in a couple of weeks is going to get um, you know a hit with food truck and food safety um, because it's been a, a prevalent topic for 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 me. Um, but um, the this is the the ultimate question that that boil that people keep asking and I don't have a good answer for it. Okay. Are food trucks riskier of equal risk or less risky than restaurants when it comes to foodborne illness and food safety? Ben Ben I have two answers for you. Okay. Yes, yes, my favorite. It my, it it depends. Yes. And it's complicated. And it's complicated. What are they doing in the food trucks? To which restaurant are you comparing? Right. Right? I mean, that's the yep. bottom line. Yep, yep. Exactly. What are they doing in the trucks? What are they doing? It's not a – I would say, you know, Ben, I would visualize this as means with standard deviations that overlap. Yeah. <laughs> Until you narrow it down more closely. I mean, if it's a food truck that's boiling hot dogs and uh, slapping it on a bun with ketchup and mustard, that's different than a food truck that's cooking tacos from raw meats, Right. And, and again, it's different from McDonald's. It's different than um, Chili's. It's different than uh, you know Corner Cafe, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, that that is where it kind of boils down to, and that's a hard answer to to give journalists because they're really looking for well, it's got to be one or the other, right? Or or one of these three, right? It's either they're the same, they're worse, they're better, and in in the, you know, the quick answer is, well, we don't, I don't really know. And I, I think the other um, complicating factor in this is the denominator, which is another one of our yes. favorite yes. favorites, right? Is yes. I, I, we've got a lot of history on inspecting restaurants and we've got a lot of history on outbreaks linked to restaurants where we can effectively look at uh, risk factors. We don't have the same kind of denominator when it comes to food trucks. It's a relatively new um, hot area. It, it, we're, we're definitely seeing an increase, not to the same level of number of food businesses that have actual brick and mortar. Um, and it, you know, is that it, it's going to take us, it's going to take time to, to build a, a history up, uh, to, to know, um, I, to give you a very succinct question, um, that, and I'll tell you how I answered this. Um, I, this is from one of the one of the journalists, and I won't you know break the scoop, but um, specifically found that thirteen out of ninety three, <clears throat> thirteen out of ninety three food trucks 
which is 14%, were cited for a hand hygiene violation in 2016 compared to 87 out of uh, 1,076 restaurants without takeout, which is 8%, or 38 out of 866 restaurants, which were worth takeout. I don't know what the time period was. You know, for any of this stuff, it seems like that was a low number of, of inspections. But, um, you know, so hand hygiene violations. What the, what the journalist is asking for is, is 14% better or worse than 8%? Is that better or worse than 4%? But the denominators really matter. Yep. <laughs> and that's kind of what I said. You know, the, the question was, do you have any idea why these rates might be so different? Um, why might, what might make hand washing violations more common on food trucks than at regular restaurants, which is a different, that's a different type of question because I could, you know, talk about, um, access to hand washing, um, just the nature of a food truck on, um, on prep and, um, versus, um, uh, food, the service, um, you know, and, and the question of why would it be more common in restaurants without takeout and restaurants with takeout. And so I talked a little bit about, um, uh, independence and fast food chains. Cause I think that's what takeout is in this case. Um, you know, largely would be dominated by, by fast food, uh, chains and that there's a lot of standard operating procedures and in, in large part, and you and I have talked about this, lots of businesses, um, in the fast food sector have really engineered people and hand washing out of the process in a good way, right? Like that's yep. something that's hard to control. Let's, let's engineer our process. So we don't have a lot of hands. We don't have a lot of people, um, that, that can, can mess up that, that process. Um, so, so anyway, that's, but, but so, so look, I don't know where, where, you know, where this is going to be. Like I said, I got it from, from three different similar questions from three different, uh, uh parts of the country in the last week. Well, and and I, and what may in part be driving this is uh, this. Um, uh, what's the what's the food truck uh, in Boston that's caused illness? Yes. Uh, um, oh, what is that place called? Chicken and something. Chicken right? and rice. Chicken and rice. Yeah. Clickety clickety. I'm away. You can hear I'm away from my keyboard a little bit. Uh, my uh, the microphone. Chicken and rice guys, I think. Chicken and rice. Guys. Chicken, chicken and rice guys. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, if you Google chicken and rice food truck, first thing comes back is an ad. Chicken <laughs> and rice guys E. coli outbreak. Uh, a lawyer. Oh, yep. Yeah. At least if I Google it, that's what it looks like. Yeah. No, me too. Am I? Uh, there you go. Legal assistance in the outbreak. Let's see. Do we know these lawyers? Oh, turns out we do. <laughs> there you go. We'll uh, we'll we'll link to the April thirteenth article from uh, from Food Safety News for Chicken and Rice guys. So, yeah, so it's a it's a bad outbreak, um, and we still don't know what caused it yet. Uh, we saw some speculation from our colleague Doug, uh, who looked at the menu and 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 offered his opinion. Uh, I'm I'm with Doug. I think uh, I would like likely finger the cilantro myself. Yes. Um, uh, just because I don't like it. I know you like it. Um, but it's uh, it's it's risky. It is. It is. And, and E. coli in chicken, that makes no sense, right? And, and at least one of the people that got sick uh, definitely claimed to have ate chicken. So E. coli in chicken, it could, it could happen, I suppose, but it, it doesn't seem likely. So yeah, pretty, pretty I, I think cilantro is likelier. Yeah. Hey, hey, so two two quick things um, uh, without without links just to talk about um, since uh, since you mentioned hand washing. Um, our good uh, friend of the podcast, uh, <laughs> Michelle, 
Tamara Sim uh, from Somerset County, um, said, hey, does Rutgers have any fact sheets on hand washing in uh, farmers markets? And I said, no. Uh, but we should write one. Um, and so um, I'm going to work with Michelle on that. I'm going to uh, hand it over to my graduate student, uh, Robin Miranda, who's working on uh, norovirus. And uh, she's going to write something on uh, best best practices for hand washing at farmer's markets. So um, let me if let you me, have let me send you one. <laughs> Yeah, if you have any advice, um, actually, I did Google, uh, did Google Scholar search, and there's a couple of uh, peer-reviewed publications already, and uh, yeah, so I know you're you're up there on on my list of go-to. So anything you can send me uh, to help Robin with that would be great. And the other thing is that, and you were privy to this as well, um, I've been working with a, a grower who got a listeria positive, and um, uh, it turns out, um, our, again, friend of the, the podcast, uh, Michelle, Dan different Michelle, a lot, a lot of people named Michelle that are friends of the Michelle's. podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, Michelle Daniluk um, made the brilliant suggestion that we should write a fact sheet uh, for uh, packing house operators and farmers on what to do when you get a positive, um, which I don't think exists out there. So, um, and again, uh, because I'm awesome at delegating, uh, I suggested that uh, my uh, friend and colleague and mentee at Rutgers, Meredith Melendez, who's a, a county agent um, uh, here in New Jersey, um, who's working in food safety, um, that she, she, because she's pre-tenure and uh, because she needs uh, peer-reviewed, uh, you know, scholarly stuff that uh, she could take the lead on writing that fact sheet. So, so again, look for look for a couple of uh, fact sheets coming from me in probably two or three years. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> get written. Hey, well, I got I, I'll, I'll send you some stuff because we because uh, I made some we did we did some farmers market stuff a while ago. Cool. Um, cool. cool. Well, that's that's awesome. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else for you. I, I, well, I, we covered, I think we covered all the listener feedback. I'm going to do a better job now of making sure that um, uh, listener uh, feedback gets uh, gets tagged with a color. But I think we I found all of it, and we talked about a bunch of uh, cool stuff. So well, there you go. I think good. I think it's a show. I think it's a show. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, uh, and if you hear this, then you are, um, and you haven't gone to iTunes to rate us or give us feedback or even go to the Food Safety Talk website and send us a question or, or feedback, go go do it. Go do it now. Stop your car if you're listening to this in the car and um, and rate us because we need to move up. We've we've been I think we've been stagnant. If you if we search the podcast um, world uh, in uh, for food safety, um, I just I'm doing this right now in real time. Mm -hmm. uh, we are still uh, we're there. But we we don't come up. Uh, we're, we're number two. The FDA still beats us. That's ridiculous. It is. How, how good how good could their podcast be? I've listened terrible. to federal podcasts. They're horrible. It's terrible. They also have only eleven. Uh, they've only been rated eleven times, um, and you know they say things like "short and to the point." That's that's the one of the ratings. They don't come up like clockwork, but I need these. Thanks. That's that's what you get on the FDA. But Here's the thing, Ben. I, I I don't know about you, but I don't like podcasts that are shortened to the point. So no. let me let me tell let me tell our listeners this. You should rate and review our show, and I wouldn't tell you to go and and say bad things about the FDA, but that would be another way to affect the rankings. Yes. Uh, also, <laughs> but don't do that. That would don't, be bad. Yeah. Also, just a heads up, um, the Food Safety Magazine, we, we've got friends over there at, the, uh, at Food Safety Magazine. Uh, they, they've entered into the podcast space as well. They've got a, a podcast called Food Safety Matters. So 
you know, we got we've got that. We've got um, we've got someone uh, who's, who's who's talking about things on food safety. There's there's other food safety folks out there. If you really like us and you want us to be uh, number one, number one in your hearts is great. But number one on iTunes would be even greater for us. That's that's right. It would. And, and for you, because because we're because we're because we're shallow and vain people. <laughs> we are. We really are. And just just help us. Just help us move up. Um, yeah. So uh, so anyway, check out uh, check out iTunes. Um, still uh, still only thirty eight uh, ratings and reviews. I I do check every once in a while because I, I I crave that feedback. Um, but all all five stars, by the way. We don't even we have n- zero four star ratings. So I mean, uh, thirty eight for thirty eight. Uh, anyway. But we but Ben, I'm pretty sure there's more than thirty eight listeners. I know there's 38 listeners. Um, <laughs> I know there's at least uh, uh, 3,000 people that that subscribe to the podcast. I don't know how many people listen to it, but it's got to be more than 30. It's somewhere in between 38 and 3,000. Exactly. So, so a few of you out there, you know who you are. If you haven't rated the show, I'm talking to you. Yeah. Go rate the show. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's uh, that's it. I will uh, talk to you soon, sir. And, All right. Uh, have uh, next time I, I talk to you, I will have uh, returned from a, a trip to Russia. That's um, what you're hoping. <laughs> I, well, that's true. I'm assuming. I'm assuming I'm returning. Um, so anyway, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, Don. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. I, th- I think you'll probably get back. Okay. I think I'll be back. I think I'll be fine. Um, okay. So make so, sure your affairs are in order before you leave. I will. So, so speaking of, of Russia, it, it yes. happens to come at, uh, in the two week period for us to record. Mm-hmm. So I propose that we record on, um, let me see where my flights are for this. I'm going to talk this update. Oh, oh, oh. To go to Denver the week after. Let me see when that is. Sometimes, Don, 
My mm. flights populate my calendar. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. Why is huh. that? why is that? Could you? I don't know. Could you help me with that? I, uh, so what I, I almost always travel United. And so what I do is I go onto the United website and I say, add these flights to my calendar. And then it downloads a little, um, ICS file. And then I open that and it populates. Yeah. So I do, I do that too. Um, the, the Delta app has a little button that says add it. And it, it just says, Hey, give us access to your calendar. But sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't do it. Like sometimes huh. it does it automatically. And sometimes I need to push that button. So anyway, I've pushed huh. I've pushed the button, um, and I've see that I would be. Uh, so this will be fun. Um, I have a flight on Monday, May twenty second at twelve forty five p.m. So I could I, I could record a podcast at like nine on the twenty second. If you could record a podcast at nine. Uh, well, you know, I have a flight at two Oh five on Monday, May 22nd. So, uh, let's see. So two noon, 11, uh, yeah. Uh, nine, uh, nine would be good. Uh, I need, it needs to be like right at nine, but what yes. If, what if we even tried for eight thirty? Uh, totally. Okay. Let's do that. We'll do an early, a special breakfast edition, a very special food safety talk. just recorded 125 that was our uh, sesquicentennial yes <laughs> that's awesome 126 there you go 126 830 that's perfect because that will get me that will get me to the airport yeah and that gives me like a uh, time to get to the airport uh with you know no no uh not not rushing after the podcast or yeah. anything so yeah perfect okay and my children, I will drop them off at school by eight, and then uh, it'll just be me and Stanley, probably. Nice. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So let's do that. This one's mine. Yep. Um, and if you can throw the uh, links in there, I will uh, uh, edit this uh, tonight. Cool. And get it up. Yeah, I think I think I got all of the the links. For some reason, um, messages on my desktop is not syncing with messages anywhere else. I had that problem yesterday when we were in the meeting. Mm-hmm. You were texting me some mm-hmm. messages, and I was not getting all of them on my iPad, but I was getting them all on my phone. Right. Why? Why? Can you tell me about that too? I'm Are you, is this Apple. a Mac development? Yeah. Is this a Apple thing? Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's highly annoying. Um, oh yeah, so it says my oh my my and sign in with your Apple ID to activate iMessages. Well, that's what I need to do then. All right. Um. Cool. It's so annoying. Yeah, I went through a major rigmarole with trying to get Kristen's iCloud account all set up. And uh, I don't know. I mean, two-factor authentication is great, but gee whiz, what oh, a mess. I know. I know. At least with the we, – we use – so NC State's made us go to two-factor on, mm-hmm. on yeah, everything. Yeah, us too. Us too. And so – but we have two different two-factors now. Like so it's it's like three – Oh. I have three factors. So I have a, a – because we use Google as our um, email um, and calendar support. Right. And so Google's got its two-factor, which we're all required to do. 
And then since I have a purchase card, NC State has a two-factor for all of the business, but it's mm-hmm. not through Google. So I have this thing called Duo two-factor. So if I sign in to like, do something grant-related or IRB-related, um, I, have, I, I have to get a Duo uh, thing to my, um, to my watch, which actually works really well. But if I do it for my email, I get a text number from Google. Since it, you know, you know, uh, yeah. But anyway, mm. uh, the Russians aren't hacking me, so that's good. Not yet. Not, Not until yet. Until I go to Russia. Uh, there you go. Um, cool. All right. So I will put the links into the Dropbox, and uh, we're good to go. Awesome. And I am. Uh, this this worked out perfectly. I have a phone call at one thirty. I'm getting my TSA pre at two. Because I've not done that yet. What? Well, because I couldn't for a while. Because you can't do oh. it until you had a um, a green card. Oh, so, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, but I've had a green card for a while. I just mm. I've needed not, to yeah, do it. Yeah. Because yeah. I was really hot on it when it first came out. Went to do it and then couldn't. So. Huh. Cool. Um, all right. I will, uh, I'm going to talk to you in a little bit. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.